Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. If you are here this morning and you are going through a battle in your life, if you're battling with something related to your finances or a relationship, perhaps your health or your work or your studies at school, then I want to remind you that you are not alone. In fact, if you looked around this church this morning, I could almost guarantee that every single one of us is facing a battle of some description in our lives. And that is not to mention the, some of the battles that Margaret was praying around uh, as we look around the world and think about areas of injustice and, and war and poverty. And over the years, a number of people have said to me, if God is real, David, why doesn't he do something about these battles? And the Bible is clear that God has done something and God is going to do something. God has done something. He has sent his son Jesus to go to the cross for you and for me and for the whole of humanity to take our sin and our guilt and shame upon the cross once and for all. He has taken our place. But that isn't all because one day Jesus will return and God will work out his perfect judgment and justice in this world and will remove all evil and darkness. And you and I live between times. We live between the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ over 2,000 years ago and his return. And we don't know when he's going to return. But what we read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is some of what will happen when he returns. And it's good news for those who follow Jesus. It's called resurrection. And St Paul writes in verse 51 that we just read, that resurrection will involve change. It will involve change in you and me, in our bodies, in the, and, but also in the world around us. And so as we've been working through this chapter, this amazing chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, we come to the end, and I want to give you an overview, a a summary of what Paul is saying here about life and death and what that means for you and me and all believers. So please, uh, as Ellen said, keep your Bibles open and uh, let's pray for wisdom and understanding now as we look at these words. Heavenly Father, we thank you that one of the refrains through Scripture is that you are God with us. Thank you that you're with us in the battles we face today. But we also thank you that you are the Lion and the Lamb. Lord, that you have won a victory over death and that one day when Jesus returns to this earth, we will see the fullness of that victory. And so would you help us this morning as we look at these words 
in the Bible. Give us understanding. Open our eyes so we would see your plans and see you more clearly. In the name of Jesus, amen. So the first thing that I want to talk about this morning that comes through this passage of Scripture, if we could have the next slide, please, Prem, is St. Paul writes about a hope for the future. So have a look with me at verse 51 in your Bibles. In this verse, uh, Paul is writing, in part, about sleep. He writes, we will not all sleep. And two weeks ago, we read something similar but different. Have a look back to verse 20, and we read Paul writing, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, the Bible refers a few times to believers, people who follow Jesus, who are asleep in Christ. And he's not writing about the sleep that we may or may not have had last night. I mean, ironically, I had a terrible night's sleep last night. So for this illustration, it may not work very well. But what Paul is writing about is what happens when we reach the end of our lives here on earth. But he uses this word sleep deliberately, because if you think about it, if you sleep well, your head hits the pillow, your eyes close, and in the blink of an eye, it is morning. Time passes quickly. And Paul is using this language deliberately in 1 Corinthians 15. He also uses this language, by the way, in his letter to the Thessalonians to explain what happens when we reach the end of our lives as followers of Jesus. We fall asleep in Christ. That's what the Bible is telling us. And then if you have a look at verse 52, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, when Jesus returns, we will rise again, a full bodily resurrection that Natalie was speaking about last week. And I think part of the confusion that comes for many believers as well as certainly non-believers is is what we see in films and read about in books, and we even see it in, in art. And um, we are given this impression that heaven is a place that we go to. Sometimes it's portrayed as white, fluffy clouds, but it's a place that believers go to when they die. This, my friends, is not biblical. Scripture is clear that we don't go to heaven when we die. Heaven is not a place up in the sky. The Bible tells us clearly that heaven is the presence of God. It is the place where the Lord dwells. And so when Jesus returns, he will bring in the very fullness of the kingdom of God that means that it's not us going to heaven, but we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, your heaven come down on earth, your will be done here. And so Jesus will bring the fullness of the kingdom of God here on this earth. 
And in that place and at that time, God will renew and restore and recreate, resurrect the heavens and the earth and all those who follow Jesus. And we read this in Revelation chapter 21. You'll probably know the passage about the renewed heaven and earth. And often in, I think even in the NIV, it says the new heaven and earth. But actually, the more accurate translation is renewed heaven and earth. Because why would God create something of such beauty and then throw it away only to create a new earth? It is a renewed heaven and earth, a recreated heaven and earth, a resurrected heaven and earth. So we, when we reach the end of our lives, we fall asleep in Christ. And in the blink of an eye, just like sleep, when Jesus returns, all believers will rise again. But St. Paul says here in verse 51, again, have a look at the words, that not everyone will sleep in Christ. What he's writing here is that when you think about it, it's obvious some will still be alive when Jesus returns. Not everyone will have reached the end of their lives. We don't know when Christ will return, and we are certainly taught by Jesus not to try and predict when he will return, but to be ready. And so some will be asleep in Christ and some won't. So he writes, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And you may be thinking, well, what what does this mean to be changed? What does that look like? Well, I want you to think for a minute about Jesus himself. When Jesus died and then on the third day rose again, as we read at the beginning of this chapter, we read in John's Gospel that he encountered Mary at the garden tomb. And we know that initially Mary didn't recognise Jesus. She saw him and she heard him, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And it was only when Jesus mentioned her name, Mary, that she replied, Rabboni, teacher. Her eyes were open and she saw who was stood before her. Jesus was similar but different. There was a sense of continuity and yet transformation. And last week we looked at verse 49 where we read that When Jesus returns and we are resurrected, have a look at verse 49. It says, we will bear the image of the heavenly man. The heavenly man is Jesus. Jesus is the image of God. And so St. Paul is saying that when we are resurrected, we will bear the image of God in all its fullness, as God intended it. And Paul is deliberately taking us right back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, where we read this. God created humanity in his own image. But because of sin, and because we have turned from God, and because of darkness in us and in all humanity, we do not reflect the image of God as he intended it. But when Jesus returns, 
that too will be renewed and resurrected and we will reflect the image of God for eternity or for immortality, as it says in verse 53 here. And when this happens, according to Isaiah chapter 25, that is referenced in that reading Paul just gave us, two Pauls there, Paul Hayward and the Apostle Paul, very similar but not to be confused. When this happens, according to Isaiah chapter 25, death will be swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. Is there anyone else who's looking forward to that? I can assure you it's going to be more exciting than the APCM. Is there anyone looking forward to that? (laughs) I certainly am. Now, interestingly, the the verse that's quoted here in verse 55, uh, have I got that right? No, sorry, verse uh, 54 from Isaiah chapter 25 is also referenced in in Revelation chapter 21. And so as the Apostle John has this revelation, part of what we read there in Revelation 21 is this, that on that day when Jesus returns in the renewed heaven and earth, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away and he who is seated on the throne will make everything new. Or again, perhaps a a more accurate translation is, he will renew everything. There will be no more battles, no more relational battles, no more financial battles, no more health battles. We will see and know the fullness of the glory of God face to face. And we will fall down in awe at God's power. And so where humanity has turned away from God to sin, and where humanity battles with its greatest fear and inevitability, death, And where humanity is always looking for ways to overcome problems and and look for rules such as law, the law. Paul writes, thanks be to God because he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so whilst Jesus did win a victory on the cross and overcame death, it is only through his return that the fullness of this victory will be brought in and completed. This is the sure and certain hope that we have as followers of Jesus. It is a hope for the future. Now your vicar's going to have a drink of water and while we do that, the slides will change and I'll then come on to my last point. While I'm doing that, you can think about your hope for the future. So even greater than the hope for the future, I should say, 
alongside our hope for the future, is a hope for the present. And what I love about St. Paul's writing is he often asks the so what question. So what does this mean for you and me today in our lives? Well, let's think about this. If God is going to resurrect, renew and recreate the heavens and the earth and our bodies, then wouldn't it mean that actually it matters, firstly, how we steward this earth? Because God's plan is not to throw it away. And wouldn't it matter how we live our lives and use our bodies and our words and our weeks and months and years that God graciously gives you and me here on this earth? Because there is some continuity between this life and what is to come. Paul writes in verse 58 about our work of the Lord or work in the Lord. And he goes on to say that what you do now matters. It really matters. In a few weeks, we're going to partner with LICC, the London Institute of Christian Contemporary Christianity, to, to have a look at what our front lines are, those areas of mission for all of us, because we acknowledge that we only spend a fraction of our time here together. The vast majority of our time, we're out there in the world, and you're at work, or you're at school, or you're in your community, you're with your friends and your family, you're playing sport, you're fulfilling your purpose, doing different hobbies. You are serving God here in the church, but also out there in the world. And all of this, Paul is saying, matters deeply to God because you are an ambassador of Christ. You are a son and a daughter of the living God. You are a disciple of Jesus and you're his creation formed to reflect the image of God to the world, to everybody you meet in your life. What we do now here on this earth is not just a means to an end, but it is an end in and of itself. And it's God's will that as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit that we reflect God's image through our work. The youth at the back, you know, it matters how you relate to your friends, hello youth, at school. And it matters for those of us who are working, how we relate to our colleagues. For those of us who are retired, how we relate to our neighbours and our family and the people that we come across every single day. And in some ways, what we do in this life is a warm-up for what is to come. So as you work and study and sew and paint and write and dig and care for others and love those around you, it's all part of what it means to be in the kingdom of God, now and into eternity. And so St. Paul writes in verse 58, know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Or as it says in the message translation, stand your ground, don't hold back, throw yourselves into the work of the Master, 
confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. St. Paul writes, as you know, a number of times in his letters about standing firm. And as you and I face battles in this life, God wants to say to you today, stand firm. Let nothing move you. And St. Paul writes this because he knew firsthand what it was like to face difficulty and persecution. And God understands what you're going through even more. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. And to be a, a Christian doesn't mean we're immune from trouble, but God does equip us and empower us, stands with us, Emmanuel, God with us, as we go through life's challenges. And he gives us strength. And I want to end with these words that St. Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthians. And then we're going to just be still for a moment and pray. St. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, We do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Let's pray. And I want to encourage you just, and again, I invite you to close your eyes because we're so easily distracted. Well, at least I am. Just with your eyes shut, just to take some time in silence to lift to God the battles that you are facing in your life. Remembering the Lord knows them already, but he loves you and he loves it when you talk to him. And it's called prayer. And so lift them to him and ask him for help and strength and peace in the midst of it.
our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And just again, with your eyes closed, I want to encourage you to lift your eyes up. We read in the Bible that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and all God's people. And fix your eyes forward to that day when Jesus returns. I just want to pray the hope of the risen Christ fill you. The hope of eternity that lies beyond this life fill you. The hope that one day there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That hope fill you now in the power of Christ. The hope that we will have a resurrection body. Similar but different to the one we have now. The hope of that resurrection fill you. And so, Lord Jesus, we, we stretch our vision beyond this life and beyond the troubles we face. And we thank you that you have won the victory, Lord Jesus, over death and sin. Thank you for those glimpses that we have now of your glory and your victory. To live is Christ and to die is gain, says St. Paul. We thank you that you are with us in this life and in the next we will see you face to face. And on that day, Lord, we will worship you in ways we have never worshipped you in this life. So fix our eyes upon you now. Lift our eyes to you. And reveal the glory, your glory and your power to us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.